Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome all of you watching online. Please stand with me if you would and hold your Bibles up. Say, this is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what the Bible says I can do. Today I'll be taught the Word of God, and I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, and I will never be the same again. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're glad that you've joined us online, and those of you watching and listening to the music behind me, uh, we want to welcome you. And If you're watching this recorded, then uh, we hope that this has the same impact as live on your life. I've been doing a series entitled, Please Do Not Disturb, and uh, it's been a hard one to break away from because I've been thinking through all of the things that disturb a Christian life. Uh, just because you get saved doesn't mean the disturbances stop. As a matter of fact, the Bible plainly states that in the world you'll have tribulation, difficulty, but Jesus said, take courage, I've overcome the world. And so we have the promise that, or the information that there's going to be trouble, but we have the promise that he's already overcome the world. And so now with Christ in us, the hope of glory, we are now empowered uh, to address the world and overcome a lot of the things we would have never overcome without Jesus. So the challenge here is that understanding. When I was young and grew up in church, but really honestly, I did not know God. And it was disturbing to my mother when at 20 years old, I made a very strong decision to give my life to Jesus. And uh, it, was a, it was quite a journey because I would lay in bed at night you know, you, you have those off weekends or off nights that you really probably don't act much like a Christian. And the question now becomes, am I really saved, you know? And so I would pray at night, oh, God, please, you know, it, you know whatever I've done, whatever, you know. Because I, 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 I had given my life to Jesus, but I wasn't sure how the whole process worked. Any of you with me on that? And, and I used to use words like, and, and you've probably used these with other people, you know, I was barely saved. You cannot be barely saved. <laughs> it's like, wow, you know, there's barely there. I'm really saved, but they're barely saved. No, you're either saved or you're not. There is no barely with Jesus. Well, you know, I'm going to slide in right before the gate closes. Um, none of those things are accurate. And yet, in a world that is so divided, not just politically, culturally, but biblically, spiritually divided, which is why we have so many different expressions of faith, denominations, whatever you want to call them, that we are focusing on what everybody's saying. And quite frankly, in a world that is filled with information, at the touch of a finger on a phone, iPad, computer, we're overwhelmed with information. What used to take us five years to process, we, could, we had time to process. You have five minutes to process now. Our, our, this generation of young people is overwhelmed with information. Some good, some bad, some confusing. I mean, it's just overwhelming. 
And so we have to identify certain uh, foundational principles, thoughts in our life in order to anchor ourselves to something very real, something very true, something very historic, and that is the Bible. And, and it's, it's the promises of God, the truths of God that anchor us to God and, and connect us to Him. And so the great debate is, how do we know if someone is saved? That, that always becomes the question. And, and quite frankly, all of us are really very good at responding to that. <laughs> you know, we, we think we are. We think that we've got the answer. Well, uh, why don't you think they're saved? Because look how they're acting. Well, you don't know if somebody's saved by how they're acting. Because there are a lot of people going to heaven that we're all going to scratch our head and go, can't believe you made it. We're going to get there, and it is going to be confusing. If you stay in your human body, uh, you know, I think cremation is the answer. That way you don't have a human body. I'm, now, that's a whole different conversation. I can't believe he said that. Well, I'm getting a new body, so I don't care about this one that much. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm going to take care of it, but I, it's not like I'm, like, worried about this. But, but the real challenge now is whether or not you think you're saved or I think I'm saved, or we look at somebody else and we question whether they're saved, and we're looking at it really through the wrong lens if we do that, because the reality is, I know we're called to bear fruit. I get all of the things we're called to do. The problem is we don't do all the things we're called to do. None of us. I wish we did, but we don't. So we don't do all the things that we're called to do. And that creates this question, oftentimes, am I really saved? Well, the Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. End of conversation. Now, with that said, there are people who argue, is once saved, always saved. And there's been this debate uh, for years and forever. And then people pick out scriptures. The problem is that many scriptures that are picked out have nothing to do or are not relevant to salvation. You have to understand, you have to stop and say, what does the Bible say? All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Now, I'm not preaching a cheap message of grace here. I'm just trying to help you understand and keep my mind understanding that I'm not saved by what I do. As a matter of fact, this is the difference. You have religion and you have Christianity. And, and oftentimes Christianity operates through religious practice, but religion does not save you. So most people are working to gain grace but you, you don't work to get grace or get a platform. You have a platform of grace. You work from grace, not for grace. Make sense? I don't get to work for grace because grace is something extended to me that I don't deserve. So when God extended grace, I can either embrace it or not, but I can't work to get it. So a lot of people think, well, you know, I'm going to go to church. That's, see, I'm going to church. I'm going to serve, I'm going to give a dollar in the offering every week. I'm glad you only make $10 a week. It's a miracle you're alive. And so we go down the list of things we do for God in order to impress God, and I think that's probably a shallow way to live considering if you're having a conversation face-to-face -face with God and he looks and says, see those stars? Yeah, I put those up there. That's the end of that conversation when it comes to impressing God. It's like, what did you do? Well, um, you know, I worked the nursery. 
You know, it's like, and God, I actually gave a little bit or I did something. What I'm trying to get us to see is a relationship with God is a pleasure. It's not an obligation. And that if we think that we can work hard to to get somehow get his attention or to get his approval even, uh, we've missed the mark because God is love. He doesn't just love. He is love. God is filled with grace. Whether you think you need it or want it or not, he's filled with grace. That's how we're saved. So you can't be barely saved. I just want to get that once and for all. You cannot be barely saved. There are some people who act barely saved, and that irritates really saved people. Because you're really saved, and they're just barely saved. So that means they're flying coach on the way to heaven. You're in first class, and they're flying coach. You get off first, you get in first, all that stuff. But the challenge is, is that we have to, we, if you, depending on your personality type, if you're type A, you're always trying to figure out what you can do to, to season salvation. You know, like, like you, you know, but, but some people, I mean, I mean, really, that's the problem is like, okay, what can I do to really make God happy with me? That's a tendency. I don't have it anymore. I grew through that. It was a hard time. So those of you that are working through your salvation, and, and if I was a really mean preacher, I could, I could preach this mean easy, man. You know, I could, I could just scare the hell out about all of you. Because I, I could read, I just go to the book of Revelation, and I'm just telling you right now, we'd have an altar filled. Oh, God. And there's nothing wrong with an altar filled with people, but I'm not doing it because I'm trying to get God's approval. I'm doing it because I already have his approval. He created me in his image and his likeness. I'm the apple of his eye. And I can promise you on my worst day, I'm going to heaven. And I have some worst days. And I'm going to heaven. Now, that doesn't make everybody happy. There are people, no, you're not. If you're going, I'm not going. Then go to hell. I didn't mean that mean. I mean, that's just literally a place. You know, I mean, that's that. But that, you get where I'm going, right? Welcome to Mosaic Church, Oklahoma City. Because I just, I just look and I say, you know, there's nothing I can do. I, here's the thing. This is years, years, some years ago, I going through a really, really dark season in my life. And some of you are aware of that dark season. And I, I try just to every now and then share a little bit with you, thinking what was, what was it like. And I try not to stay on it. I've got some friends that that have gone through the same thing. And they're always preaching on it. And I'm thinking that it might get old. But I wrote this for me in my darkest day. And I'm just going to share it with you. I, I've had it a couple of weeks, thought about it. I thought, unless the Holy Spirit leads me to do this, I won't do it. But anyway, it's a little poem I wrote. In the sparse shadows of the midday sun, I realize that there is yet a race I must run. I possess the promise of your life-giving spirit. It's in your voice carried by the breeze. I can hear it. There will be easy and rough days ahead. There will be moments of vision and minutes of dread. Maybe even blood, sweat, and tears. But you can be trusted. You've shown me throughout the years. Today I stand on a new battlefield and your spirit within me refuses to yield. As the war for my destiny rages, you remain the rock of ages. Now I lean in the direction of your choosing, knowing with you on my side there is no losing. 
The road that I face may not be easy and is certainly long, but by following the way of the cross, I will remain strong. So as I approach this new day, I will be diligent to follow your way. For the way of Christ and Golgotha have clearly shown that the life that I live is not my own. See, I realized that all of my efforts, all the good, all the bad, all of those things were not what was really important. What was really important was a surrendered life to God. If, if every day you do a lot of things wrong, there's one thing every day. If you get up from your bed, arise and say, God, today I surrender my life to you. Now, throughout the day, it may not look like you surrendered, but God, I surrender my life to you. And the reality is during a bad season or a difficult season, you may not feel saved. Other people may accuse you of not being saved. You may not be the reflection of God that you want to be. But if you'll hang on to the truths of God that he will never leave you, he will never forsake you, that he will be with you always, that you're not trying to impress him, you're not trying to get approval from him, you're simply saying, God, I'm hanging on to the grace extended to me, the salvation imparted to me when I surrendered to you. He is the same God, as the song said. He is the same God. And I've watched people get miracles that irritated religious people. I love it when lost people have a miracle. It just jacks with religious people. How come he got it? How come she got it? They live for the devil. If you look at Jesus' life, some of the people he healed in the Bible didn't even believe in him. But he did it to reveal himself to mankind. That's called grace. I don't get healed because I'm good. I don't get well because I'm good. I get well because he is a well God. He is a good God. And so whenever we get disturbed about things in life, we have to realize that everything good, every good and perfect gift comes down from heaven. And that I don't get what I deserve, and I'm so thankful I don't get what I deserve. I may act really good, and I try just like you do, and we all try to live good, not even act good, live good. But our brains are overwhelmed and inundated with things that contradict everything that's good about God. I'm pausing because I need to make sure before I say anything else. There are just so many things that are disturbing right now in our world. And we have to know how to respond by the Holy Spirit. And it's so difficult to respond by the Holy Spirit when what's being thrown at us is so blatantly opposed to God. Everything in me wants to retaliate against some of the things I see. And I'm thinking, God, what can I best do to represent you to a demonically possessed world that I see. And I know that you can turn around and you can attack and we can do those things, but there's a way to disagree without being disagreeable. 
as best as we can, but being firm in our faith and being strong in what we believe and our convictions. But people respond better to grace than they respond to anything else. When you love someone who doesn't love themselves and they don't love God and there is no love, it is totally a contrast in their soul to what they're experiencing. And trust me, there are, th- th- this is a challenge for many people who feel like we have the answer, we know the answer. And legalism opposes grace and it drives people away from God. Now, if I said, look, I see how you're living. If somebody comes up and says, you know, here's what I do, I'd say, you know, there's a lot better life than that if you want it. Instead of saying, you really are an idiot. You're probably not going to have a real long conversation with those people because you're calling them what they already know about them. They already know that. They're having a conversation with you to hopefully get in a fight because that's what they look for is a fight. They want to they prove that you're wrong, and maybe not that they're right, but that you're wrong about God. And anybody who asks you to prove that God is God, that's a problem because you, you could scientifically present it to them, but they really don't want to know scientifically. What they just don't want you to tell them is that to have a relationship with God, that works through faith by grace. Because that means at this point, I can do nothing. I can do nothing to receive salvation except to accept the work of Jesus on the cross. That's the only way I can be saved. Now, I would like to contribute, but I can't. Now, what I can contribute is obedience, which brings rewards and blessing. That's my contribution is obedience to God. That's my contribution. Not anything I can do to be saved. And so what we try to do is we connect blessing or rewards with eternal salvation. And they're they're different. And I'll preach a whole series on this eventually. I've been looking at it again and studying it again. But what what we're so afraid of is that somehow we're going to do something that that in a moment that's going to automatically take us away from our salvation. When I was in college, and I've told you this story before, it really was surprising me because I was a theology student. And when you're a theology student, regular people want to challenge you what you're learning and what you're doing. And so I had this question asked to me, if a person's driving down the road and they get kind of road rage and somebody pulls out in front of them and then they, they, they give them the number one sign, and they yell at them, and they honk at them, and they flip them. If that person, right after that moment, crashes into a telephone pole and dies, will they go to heaven? And my response was classic. I said, first, I did what Jesus did. I asked a question with a question. Well, had they given their life to Christ? Yeah. I said, then they're going to heaven. But they just flipped somebody off. I said, you know how many times you've done that in your mind? You know how many times in a moment that you went flesh on us, that you did something? They're not saved because of an action. They're saved because of a submission to God. Now, that may not have been Christ-like behavior, but none of us are going to heaven based on our own merit and our own behavior. You're not going. I'm here to tell How can I encourage you? (laughs) We don't get to go because we're good. And I'm so happy about that. 
And religious people are not happy about that. No, every day is a new day. Are you saved today? Well, I didn't act right. So you go to bed at night going, oh, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I'm... Look, yeah, repentance is great. It, it's awesome, and we should repent of the things that we know we've done. But that repentance is repenting for behavioral sin. When I got born again, I asked Jesus to take care of original sin. You're always going to sin, but you're not a sinner. I guess it's like me playing golf. I golf, but I'm not a golfer. (laughs) Ask any really good golfer. I'm not a golfer, but I like to golf. You see what I'm saying? And so... You, just because you sin is not what makes you a sinner. If you gave your life to Jesus, you're a Christian that sins. Some of you are getting free, and I see confusion. What is he really saying? <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm not presenting it well enough, but I want us to grasp this because the greatest disturbance for Christianity is not being able to live up to the standard that either you have set for yourself or the standard you've heard preached in the church. Because many churches will tell you, you can be saved and unsaved. And that's spiritual schizophrenia. (laughs) Can you imagine living your whole life spiritually schizophrenic? Well, one day you're saved and the next day you're not. That's what I felt growing up. Well, you know, I had a good three months. I was born again. Wish I'd have gone to heaven then. Because right now I'm on my way to hell. That's what I thought. I had no idea how God looked at me, how God perceived me, how much God loved me. And again, I'm not licensing sin. That's not what this is about. But I'm helping us to understand the only reason we get to go to heaven is because we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. The next question is, if somebody gives their life to Jesus and you personally never see any change in their life, are they going to heaven? I'm like, I just want to go, you know, I don't see a robe on you. You're not the judge. I'm not the judge. And some people do get born again, and and you don't know they're born again. I mean, they might tell you they're born again, but you watch them, and you go, well, you can't be born again. Look at how you're acting. But you haven't looked in the mirror. Because you and I behave in unbecoming ways, maybe not as extreme as somebody else. But here's the way I look at it. So if somebody has cancer, you have a ton of grace for cancer patients. My dad passed with cancer. And I, I, my dad smoked for years, 30 years, first 30 years, I mean, from the time he was young until he was 50. And it would have been easy for me to say, Dad, you know, I told you to quit smoking. But who does that? If somebody does that, kick him out of the hospital room. Then hire Guido to meet him in the parking lot. You don't do that. You look and you say, I'm so sorry. I, I, don't, I don't care what you did. I mean, I really do. I just love you, and, and I want you to be well. Isn't that what you say? So when somebody has the flu, you don't look at You're so stupid. Why do you have the flu? Been hanging out at Target? Subliminal. Why do you have the flu? Come on, you need to get over yourself. You're sick. But here's the challenge. Not one of us in here hasn't had the, had the mind flu. It's called mental illness. You don't think you're mentally ill, but therein lies the problem. You are. Now, I'm not saying that to be. I'm just saying I have had moments where my mind was sick. 
Call, I call it the mind flu. And you know what? We get on to people who have the mind flu, but not the people who have cancer, not the people who have the physical flu, but people who don't think right, we judge them. I, I, there were ways I behaved because I was sick. It wasn't that I didn't love God and God didn't love me. I was sick. Now, some of y'all don't want to come to a church where the pastor admits he had mental illness. Well, the others do too. They just won't tell you. Any pastor says, I'm just perfectly washed with the blood of Jesus. My mind is just so renewed. You don't get out much, do you? I am so thankful that the world has finally started talking about mental illness. That doesn't mean you're crazy. It doesn't mean you're psycho. It just means there are times you're not thinking right. You're sneezing mentally. Doesn't make noise. And I, I, I look back on my life and I go, you know, I didn't even know as a Christian I was susceptible to mental illness. Well, guess what? If you're susceptible to the physical flu or some other disease, you're susceptible in your mind to thinking wrong. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And out of the abundance of the heart we speak. There are moments in time. And I, I, I hate going through it, but coming out on the other side, I realized that sometimes I don't think right. I'm just checking to make sure all of you are agreeing with me, going, oh, well, I always think right. Yeah, and you'll be single the rest of your life. <laughs> Nobody wants to be married to somebody who's always right. Be looking, I'm checking this one at the dough. Because your spouse mentally sneezes also. This is where grace comes in. Folks, listen to me. If I don't have grace, I don't survive. It's all I know. Since I got saved, I understand the love of God, and I know God is madly in love with me, and he's madly in love with every human being on this globe. God loves you. And you know what? It's hard to even embrace that unless you love yourself. And you were always told, don't love yourself. Don't think more highly of yourself than you. Well, all this stuff, that's nonsense. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. He's saying, you need to love you so radically that you're, you can love your neighbor radically. Grace is similar to that process. If you don't understand grace and give yourself grace, you can never give grace to anybody else. That's the reason we have so many people walking around in Christianity judging everybody. Because you don't understand grace, you can't give it to you, so you judge everybody else. You want to overcome judgment? Start talking about grace. Quit judging everybody else for their actions when your intentions are just as bad. And I'll tell you, this is, grace is the most difficult thing a preacher preaches because it's so misunderstood people say well you know people just using grace to do whatever they want no they have the mind flu their, their, their mind is not thinking right i believe grace is is two sides to grace one is grace empowers us to obey god and do the will of god but when we don't grace covers us i have proof of that where sin abounds grace abounds even more 
So what God is saying is, yeah, there's going to be sin, but grace, my grace is greater than your sin. So you all need to give yourself a little grace, but if you're a type A, you already think you're perfect. What am I? I'm a type A. So I know the diseases that come with type A's. We're good. We're right. If not, we'll convince you that we are and make us feel better. When you say, yes, you are, we say, thank you very much. I've had to learn I'm not all of that. I'm not perfect. I don't even come close. I can't even spell the word. (laughs) Legalism, living by a list of rules, is the lazy way out. Guess what? The Pharisees so desperately wanted to prove to everybody they were better than everybody else, they couldn't keep the Ten Commandments, so they created 600 more. Guess what? You can get lost in 600 commandments. It's hard to get lost in 10. God thought 10 was enough. Man went, nah, I can't do those. Let me make some more up. Oh, yeah, I'm going to make the commandments that I keep. The rest of y'all are just doofuses. We make up our own rules because we can keep them. Somebody who is disciplined always judges someone who's not disciplined. And yet the undisciplined people are having a blast and you're miserable. So you need to do this. Thank you. It's always good to have somebody in your corner, baby. And William is in my corner. Don't mess with him. We rely on rules so we'll know how to respond in any given situation. The trouble is there are never enough rules to cover every contingency. See, Paul didn't say be led by the rules, be led by the commandments. He said be led by the Spirit. The challenge is the Spirit is invisible. He's here right now. That'll scare some of you. I've been in churches where that scared me. I'm not sure what spirit they were talking about. (laughs) Woo. Paul said be led by the Spirit, one Spirit, only Spirit, Holy Spirit. He's holy and he's the Spirit. And the challenge with that is you can't see him, you can't touch him. But he is here. And then the great debate is, well, you're not full of the Spirit. That's kind of like being barely saved. No, it's like you have this God gauge. It says, you're at a quarter of a tank. You're on reserve. You need to pull over and get fooled up with the Holy Spirit. It's like you're drained out. I've used him all up. My quota for the week. I don't get another Spirit injection until Friday. You'll live like the devil those days between. You see, religious people will always try to put you down. Spirit-led people will always try to lift you up. Spirit-led people understand we all need grace. Not only do the rules not work well, they also create several problems. The legalist is lured into believing he can satisfy God by keeping man-made rules. He settles for an external morality rather than an inner purity. His focus is on cultural conformity instead of biblical spirituality. Here's what I've learned traveling the world is that culture oftentimes tries to shape and mold a person instead of being shaped and molded by the Holy Spirit. There are different things that are accepted in certain locations. Like, for instance, I don't know if any of you have watched Jesus Revolution with Kelsey Grammer, one of the most powerful movies I've ever seen in my life. 
I sat watching it last week and cried almost through the whole thing. I had read about it. I knew about it. When I got born again, it was just happening. It, was, it had just started. And I had read about this man named Chuck Smith who started Calvary Chapel in California. He had about 25 people in his church, a nice building, uh, suits and ties, and men and women of, of age and maturity. And, and all of a sudden, these hippies started getting saved on the beaches. And they started wanting to know more about God. They just knew that drugs were not doing it anymore. They couldn't be fulfilled. And, and they started entertaining the idea of Jesus, and they started getting saved. And, and, and long story short, they, they, they're invited to this little 25-member church that sat about probably 200. And, and, and the, the people who were religious in ties started leaving, and they told the pastor he had to stop. Let me tell you, that's given movement to my life. That, that was what started me seeing people differently, was hearing that story and then watching the movie, and I'm sitting there crying going, because I watched, I listened to it, I read about it, and, 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 and it, there was this great Jesus revolution, this great Jesus movement, and it was born out of not, not works but out, and, and, and rules and morality. It was born out of a desperate spirit to have something in their life different than anything they'd ever experienced. And they didn't know how to put a name on it, a title on it. They didn't know what to do with it, but they knew one thing. I'm in pursuit of a God who has changed the lives of people around me, and I want what they have. And they came into churches with rules and regulations and how to dress and how to behave. They wouldn't wear shoes into the church. As a matter of fact, this wasn't in the movie. But what happened was the elders were so angry that they were messing up the carpet. They came in with sand on their feet and tar and whatever else. And they were worried about what it was going to cost them, not realizing that Jesus had paid the price for everyone that came into that building. And it wasn't about the carpet. It wasn't about hippie dress. It wasn't about long hair. It was about people who wanted to know God. And we've been lulled to sleep by the rules and regulations and all of those things instead of saying, we just want you to come in and know Jesus. Expect everybody to act right, dress right, look like us. That's a miserable life. I don't even know how to describe mosaic to people outside of here. I never fit the religious mold. I don't ever want to fit the religious mold. I want those people. They exist in Oklahoma City. They're here. And we just have to find them, and they have to find us. And let me tell you, they're, they're going to look different. They're going to smell different. We're worried about the decibels of music. Give me a break. You can't stand 20 minutes of this, but you can go to a rock concert and stand and shake your booty to 120 decibels. Your ears are bleeding, but come to church. It's just a little too loud. Stop! Get some stinking earplugs and come in and worship God and quit putting rules on the church. I'm too old to listen to those petty complaints. We're here to worship God. This is not about you or me. This is about him. And you can stand stuff outside the church that you can't stand inside the church. Shift gears, pilgrim. 
and you know, they only have donuts. We cast the fat out of them every Sunday. They don't use the right kind of coffee. Music's too loud. My kids had a problem in children's church. Yeah, and they're going to have a problem in school, but you're not going to pull them out. Ah. Quit being petty. Show some grace. Experience some grace. Give some grace. I need grace. Help me. Help you. Yeah, William, bring it, baby. Anybody acts up back there, you have my permission. He sets himself up to legalist as a judge over those who excel at keeping his rules. All this leads to an average increasing bondage. Our most important weapon against legalism is God's grace. It's not just something that saves us. It's there for us daily. In fact, it is the only resource we have that is powerful enough to make us do or want to do what God wants us to do. I don't serve God anymore because I'm afraid of hell. I don't even serve God anymore just because I get to go to heaven. I serve God because he loves me so radically. And I love him so radically that I just want to be connected to him. It's a wonderful thing because when I got saved, I just didn't want to go to hell. And that, that wasn't bad, you know. I, that's probably a good reason to get saved because I don't think hell's going to be a blast. So if, if you're going there, don't go. But once you fall in love with Jesus and you understand grace, you'll never want to go backwards. I want to do right, not because I have to do right. I don't want to do right because I want to impress God or I don't want to do right because I want God's approval. I want to do right because I know how much he loves me. And you say, but, you know, I don't want to really get saved. I want to be barely saved because I don't want to let God down. I got news for you. You're not holding God up. You can't let him down because you're not holding him up. It's time. Look, the world's looking to the church right now. And and, and we got to have the answer. And the answer isn't act like us, be like us. The answer is God loves you. Love him. Be like him. Because when you come in here, there are about... Any given Sunday, I know there, that we rotate who acts like God and who doesn't in every section, every Sunday. You know, We try our best, but it oftentimes comes up short because somebody cares so much about the music or a little flaw in children's ministry or somebody didn't say hi to me. Pastor, you shake my hand. I've actually had somebody say that. We left because you ignored me. Yeah. In the midst of hundreds, I, I did intentionally ignore you. I really did. I'm so sorry. I didn't see you. And besides that, I'm not important. It's like, come on. Come on. If somebody's going if you're watching me and you want, look, I'll disappoint you. My handshakes are not that great. You won't, you won't feel this like electric buzz. Oh my God. When he shook my hand, it was like Jesus shaking my hand. <laughs> oh, I'm almost done. But I'm really enjoying looking at your faces going, what is he talking about? That's a good sermon when you're asking that question. Because now you have to go and figure it out. If we throw out the rules, won't we be left 
rudderless. No, indeed, for we have something better than a rule book. We have a personal guide, the Holy Spirit. Rules are easier. We can see them. Walking with the Spirit requires walking by faith, not by sight. It requires listening, often on a case-to-case basis, and expecting to be surprised at times by the Spirit's prompting. It would be nice if, if, if all we had to do, think about it, if we had wrote our own Ten Commandments. Some of y'all, oh, it's sacrilegious. No, I'm just, it's hypothetical. Okay, when you go to church, you need to shower. You need to have a good haircut. You need to have a tie on. You need to have no jeans with holes in them. You need to smile the whole time. You need to greet everybody you see. Or thou shalt go to hell. These are the rules. See, the problem is that Nobody can keep the rules. Even the best religious sects, S-E-C-T-S, in Bible days, you are really a slow crowd. Even in the Bible days, they couldn't keep the rules, and they just kept making more rules that they thought they could keep. And they just kept making rules because they couldn't keep the ones they made. So at the end of the day, Folks, listen, original sin, behavioral sin. When a baby's born, today there will be thousands of children born, and every one of these precious little beautiful babies in hospital nurseries are sinners. And I know every mother's going, my baby's not a sinner. Yeah, it is, because it came out of your womb. And you, get where I'm coming from? I hate saying it. It sounds terrible. But they're from the seed of sin. And so what do you do? You get mad at a baby? Be saved. You know, you're going in, the baby's like, be saved. Baby doesn't know right now because it hasn't done anything. But then when it starts misbehaving, you start addressing the behavioral sin, but you got to get to the core of it. That's how the Bible says, train a child up in the ways you go when they're old and not depart from it. You're, you're addressing the original sin they're born with. So just because you have original sin, now when you get born again, that's washed away by the blood of the Lamb, but the residue of the sin remains on your life. It's amazing to me. But, but then the child starts walking and all of that stuff, and then you start noticing it's a sinner. Honey, we've given birth to a sinner. Oh, my God. What are we going to do? You're going to address the sin <laughs> and tell them, You're going to be a mess. Welcome to humanity. But you need Jesus. You don't get out of this thing without Jesus. I'm just telling you right now. And then they, what do they do? They accept Jesus and they still act the way they act. And you still love them because they're yours. We act the way we act and God still loves us because we're his. It's such a joy to be really saved. I'm glad I'm no longer barely saved. <laughs> it's a wonderful feeling to not be barely saved. And some of y'all think, I mean, your, your parents have been praying for you. He's going to make it, but he's probably going to be late. Hope they don't close the gate before he gets there, kind of like an airline. <laughs> nope, you're late. <laughs> We're taking off without you. 
That's the way a lot of people look at God. But he ain't going anywhere without you if you choose to not go anywhere without him. He loves you. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being the God that you are. It's so amazing and so humanly difficult to understand how you could love us and extend grace that you've extended to us. May you continue to reveal yourself to us every day, how much you love us, because if we can grasp that, I believe if we can really grasp how much you love us and the price you paid to get us back, that we wouldn't have to serve you, we would want to serve you. We would want to, because we have this incredible understanding of the price you paid for us. With every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, what do I need to do to experience this grace that you're talking about? Put your faith in Christ. Accept him as your Lord and Savior, and you'll be saved. You'll be saved. So I want everybody to pray this prayer with me, and pray it louder than the 930 crowd, please. Let the people watching online that are recorded, let them hear this. We don't want them going, well, you know, there's nobody in that church getting saved. Every Sunday we pray this, I love it because I enjoy praying this prayer because I just want to never forget what Jesus did for me and has done for me. Pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for loving me so much that you gave your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. And I declare today, because of your grace and your love, I am saved. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, yeah, go ahead and give Jesus a hand. Because of that prayer, your life is changed. Now, when you leave here today, you leave or whatever you're doing, watching this, whatever the case may be, you don't always feel safe. That was what I wanted. I always wanted to feel safe. There were days I didn't feel saved at all. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.